Hello and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter, as featured on BBC Radio 4 Extra's Podcast Hour, BBC Radio Manchester and also now BBC Radio Lancashire. Joining me today is a very dear friend of mine, it's Danny Abraham. We're going to be talking all about Danny and his faith and sort of where it's taken him really. So welcome to the podcast, Danny. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Now, listeners might not know Danny, but I hope by the end of this episode that you'll understand why I find him such an inspirational person and why he is such an inspirational person. Um... So why don't you take me back to the job you were doing, what was it, six months ago and what you were doing for the last what, a few years with that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I started training back in 2013 to be an electrician. Um, so that all sort of finished. It was a four-year apprenticeship. So I finished that in 2017. And I've been working with my dad right throughout that. Um, so we, we kind of specialise in industrial work and commercial stuff. Um, so that was quite taxing that was a good job and it was nice to work with my dad but I've always had that sort of niggling sense from beginning that job that it probably wasn't the right thing for me and I didn't really know where those feelings were coming from uh, until a few years in and as we were saying before we start recording you'd be up very early your, your sort of day and working life what kind of hours were they like so working industrially um we tended to fit in with um a shift pattern so that was six o'clock start so i was getting up at like half four um until i started this job i didn't know there was two half fours in a day <laughs> um i was getting in sort of three o'clock so that was quite good for social stuff but yeah it was sort of a half eight nine o'clock bedtime which is not what you want really not as a young person um so then something's changed for you before we talk about that tell me about growing up did you go to church of your faith when you first believed that if you had that key moment yeah so my faith has it's always been there to a degree I've always believed that there is a God um, I didn't really know who God was um, it was I, I grew up loosely a Roman Catholic to take you right back to sort of where my faith origins began um, I was kind of taken to church around 11 12 13 um, I never really connected with the faith um, at that age as a lad, you're more interested in girls and football and going mm. out and that sort of stuff. And so I never really got the God thing. The Jesus thing never really made any sense to me. And so I kind of fell away from faith pretty quickly. Um, I started to come back and started to rethink about faith around 2015. There were certain things going on in my life at the time, difficult stuff going on. Um, I was in a, another relationship back then and there was just certain aspects of my life that I wanted to commit to something that was a bit higher than me, if that makes any sense. Mm. I knew that there was a higher power and that, that this higher power as such could do something about some of the stuff that was going on in my life. And so I knew that I didn't want to sort of re-engage with the Roman Catholic faith because it was something I never really 
um, engaged with. Yeah, yeah. And so I did, there's no magic formula as such. I just typed into Google on a Saturday night, nearest Church of England church. And by this point, I was living in Bursco after moving in um, 2013. And uh, St. John the Baptist Church in Bursco came up as the top result. And so I thought, I'll take myself off down there tomorrow morning and see what it's like. I have to interject here because I was on, when I was on the way to your now wife's Hindu, I we were speaking to your mum about this. And she said that you wrote her a note saying, gone off to yeah, church. Yeah. And, or gone off to St. John's or something. And she's like, oh yeah, like, all right. And then she was like, oh, the Catholic one. And you said, no, the Church of England one. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Carry on. <laughs> so um, I took myself off down to the church on the Sunday morning. And while the sermon wasn't particularly sort of mind-blowing, what actually stuck with me that morning was the welcome that I got. Mm. And going to St. John's yourself, you know that it's quite a friendly church. Yeah. It feels like family. But from the moment I stepped in the church, that was the feeling I had. It was people were making the time to talk to me. I got invited to talk to the then incumbent, the posh word for vicar. Um, and I could see that he was really, really busy that morning, sort of merging between one service and another. But he took the time to talk to me and introduce himself and, and say, it's lovely to have you with us. And I thought, if someone's taken the time out of a busy schedule to, to talk to me like this and the welcome I've got, there's something in this. This is what church is for me. Mm. Not the um, cold, stuffy environment that I'd been used to, but actually that this is church. Yeah. And it made me want to go back the next week and the next week and the next week. And my faith just exploded into into life from that point. Yeah. I remember the first time I met you was in an evening service and I think it was Chris Whitehead was talking about the blessings. Yeah. And I think I came up to you then and introduced myself. That's right. But I do think that sort of church isn't, it isn't the building. Some people make it the building mm -hmm. and the protocol, but it's more the family and the people in there, which is why not necessarily the building isn't important. It mm -hmm. is important, but it's not in terms of the be all and end all. It's mm -hmm. the people in the building. Yeah. Um, so you started coming more regularly, you got more involved, then what happened? Um, nothing magic happened for about a year. Um, the Jesus thing actually finally started to make sense. Good. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, previously I'd never had an experience of Jesus. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was um, as such, but all these things started to click into place as my faith started to grow. And I would say probably about 12 months in, um, I started to have a nagging sense, coming back to what we were talking about before, mm. that there was something that was supposed to happen with my life that I didn't know. Mm. And these feelings kept sort of niggling away at me and niggling away. And how, how did they present themselves? Were they sort of a voice? Was it sort of... How did you get that feeling? It was kind of a mix, really. So I've always, as I say, I've always had that feeling that being an electrician wasn't the job for me. Just something about it didn't feel right. I wasn't getting passionate about it. I wasn't excited about it. And I think if you're going to do something for a long time, particularly work, it's got to be something that's going to invigorate you and excite you. Mm. I wasn't getting those feelings. Church was beginning to become the... Um, number one thing in my life that was making sense it was exciting me and i would say the other experiences i had was actually the, the first pronounced experience was our old um vicar simon mm. and he and he said there's something about you 
that I really like and I want to sort of explore it with you. Mm. Unfortunately, that never got to happen. Um, we might go into that a little bit later. But there was other people sort of saying to me, have you started thinking about ordination? And I'm like, whoa. Like, That's a big word for someone who's absolutely. just come back to the church. Absolutely. I didn't even know what ordained mean. <laughs> uh, so when I went uh, and looked it up, I was like, I'm not sure that that is for me. For those people who don't know what ordained is, it's actually been... Um, it's like a vocation in the Church of England. And um, you essentially go on to lead a church and lead a, a congregation of people and it might present itself as one church or it might be three people but essentially you are ordained to the priesthood and become a vicar or a priest whichever term you prefer and so being new to faith I thought no there's no way God can't possibly know me because when I was at school I hated the idea of standing up and talking in front of any amount of people whether it was one, two, thirty, fifty, a hundred, whatever it was hated it so I thought Mm, I think you've got your wires a bit crossed here, God, because this is not the vocation I feel called to. But this sense kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. People were continually asking me, Are you, have you thought about it? Are you thinking about it? And I remember it was almost like God was nudging me in the el uh, with his elbow in my ribs, gently, never mm. aggressively, saying, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you to trust me mm. and I will equip you. I don't call... Uh, the equipped, I equip the called. Mm. And that was a sense that I kept getting over and over and it got to a point where I couldn't ignore it any longer. And so I chatted it through with someone um, and they they said, yeah, I, I tend to agree with what everyone else is saying. I think you should think about it. So that was quite a, a scary step. Yeah, um, into the unknown. Absolutely. But sort of trusting God, but still into the unknown because he's not physical. You can't, you know, you can't literally hold his hand and walk. It's, mm. You are on your own, but the presence is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the more I started to think about this, I started to think, um, okay, well, if, the, if I'm going to start to seriously think about this and seriously explore this, there's some aspects of my um, being that I've got to kind of test the waters a little bit. So I remember thinking sermons is probably something I'm going to be doing a lot of if I go down this route. So mm. I need to really start to explore whether this is something that I can do. And so I chatted it through with our curate at the time, Elliot, um, really good friend of ours. And he said, yeah, I'll absolutely give you a go at having a go at, at doing it, which St. John's is a fab church for that. You get so many opportunities. Um, and so, yeah, he gave me the responsibility of preaching on, I think it was New Year's Eve. I feel... Yeah, I feel it was New Year's Eve. I think it was New Year's Eve at like an all-age service. Mm. So it wasn't just like preaching to like 50, like over 60s. It was like a families, young people. And I remember, it, looking back now, I think I produced about four and a half pages worth of material, which is close to about 25 minutes of preaching. And I thought, mm, I don't think that's quite the beginning that I want. I think I'm going to send people to sleep and I'm not quite sure how comfortable I feel um, preaching for 25 minutes. So chatted it through. We managed to knock it down to about 15 minutes worth. I remember that morning, I was absolutely bricking it. Mm. I was so nervous. All these feelings came flooding back. All these feelings that felt familiar at school all came rushing back. And it was almost like um, my legs were like jelly. Heart was just racing. Stomach was in knots. I remember going up... Elliot prayed for me before I started talking. And from that moment on, 
it was like the blood in my body and in my veins turned to ice and I had this real sense of coolness and stillness and mm. trust which I'd never experienced before. I got to the end of my sermon and I actually loved the experience of it and it, I couldn't believe the, the sort of feelings and emotions I was experiencing that these were coming from the same person who at school absolutely hated public speaking. And the overwhelming sense I got that morning, I remember sitting back down and the sense I got, it was a very small whisper in my head, but it went something along the lines of, I told you you needed to trust me. I now need you to trust me with the plan that I've got for your life. Mm. And it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And I remember going to, I think it was a, a talk at Liverpool Cathedral with the bishop, Bishop Paul, and he was talking about God using the whispers and he was saying mm. like the whisses and the purrs like are, are just as important as like the loud shouting that mm. some people hear. Absolutely. So after you got this feeling and that you, you know, trusting the plan, what sort of how long was this process in time wise? Was it a year? Was it more than one year? What was it? So it's what the Church of England term as like the discernment process. Mm-hmm. The idea being that you go for a process that is not categorically saying yes or no, but it's discerning through a number of different people whether this sense of call is actually being affirmed by not just one person, but by about five or six people. So it's quite a long process. I think the diocese that I belong to, they normally like to um, stretch it out a bit for your benefit and for the church's benefit. So from starting to explore this feeling of... um, being called to ordination to actually being uh, getting right to the end of the process that probably took I would say somewhere between the region of 18 months and two years Mm -hmm. and say I come across a load of different faces in that process and then recently you've given up being an electrician Mm -hmm. and you've started the actual what is it is it is it a I don't know what you call it it's degree uh, a course what what are you on yeah so i've um started at what they call theological college mm-hmm. um this one that i'm going to has been quite recently established <coughs> in liverpool um so it's it's new for all of us um but yeah essentially i'll go on to get a, a degree um, in in theology in ministry and mission and that's accredited by durham university uh, so to get to that stage I, the end of the process, the discernment process, was what they call a bishop's advisory panel. Mm-hmm. And you sit in front of um, three, well, mine was, mine was actually virtual. You normally do this over three days, but mine was done over three hours online. Wow. Um, so that was quite interesting. But you sit before three ordained people in the Church of England, all from different backgrounds. They've generally never met one another, although in some instances they have. Um, more so with the face-to-face, but on Zoom, I'm not entirely sure whether these people have met, but essentially go through quite vigorous uh, and testing questions. Um, to, to, again, it's the final stage of that process to see whether they believe from the answers you give and your personality and all that sort of stuff, whether they believe that you're being called to this particular ministry. So I got through that. What type of questions did they ask? Or was oh, it kind oh, of a bit of a blur because it was such an intense three hours? 
Yeah, a bit of a mixture really. So I had to sort of reflect on some of the stuff that was going on in the news at the time and where God, where I felt God was moving in that. Um, they asked me sort of uh, personal questions about my life and sort of my experiences of God. So we've touched on some of the stuff that mm. me and you have touched on, um, that sense of call. Uh, they asked me what kind of attributes they thought I could bring to the church, but also it wasn't just all about positive stuff. They were asking me sort of, um, like, what what do you feel that your limitations are? What do you feel you would need help with? What do you feel would be quite overwhelming? So it's a complete, like, character mm. um, sort of... I guess they're trying to identify a character and, and see whether you are right for the church, but also that the church is going to be right for you. Mm. So they were quite... Um, some of the questions were quite deep. Some of them were quite tricky but it was it was a process that I prayed into and again that sense of peace um which I believe just comes from God um when you when you ask for it yeah um, that, that was just all over it and you've started there in September I think it was how's mm-hmm. how's this going and sort of what's the journey now until ordination like yeah. what's this next process looking like so it's a three-year course um the way I'm studying is what they call context-based. So I'll be doing one day a week in college. I'll be doing three days a week on a placement, which is a local church placement. So I'll be <clears throat> sort of interacting and getting involved in parish life in loads of different ways. So mm. it might be um, home visits. It might be setting up um, a youth club or whatever. There's all sorts of different bits and bobs I can get involved with and loads of different avenues I can go down. So it's a three-year course, it's a three-year placement, and at the end of that, you then go on to um, be ordained deacon, which is like the process, um, it's like the status you get before being ordained priest. Mm-hmm. Um, you become a curate in a parish then, and you do three years curacy, which I like to affectionately think of it as like another apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. It's like a three-year apprenticeship within a church working under a parish priest you get three years worth of experience and then you go on to then uh, run your own parish so we've got quite a long time to go yet it's like another six years and in terms of doing that as your job your life your faith you know it's sort of all (coughs) aspects of of what you do now Mm -hmm. how's that is that quite intense sometimes it can be, it can be. I think it's not quite where I'm at. It's not quite ramped up to what it could be, um, but I'm well aware that it's it's not just something now that I do on a Sunday. Mm. It's going to consume every part of every bit of my life, and that's going to include all my friendships, my relationships outside of church, uh, my relationship with my wife, home life. It, it will consume all parts of it, and so me and my wife had some quite. Um, deep discussions as this process began because when we first got together we didn't know that this was the call that God had on my life mm. I think she did not envisage marrying a priest no. um, <laughs> nor that her life would be sort of entwined that way with God so you've got to sort of put those boundaries in place with family life and know when to say you know I've got to put my family first it's you answer to as a priest you've got to answer to God first first and foremost but you've got to have a level of respect and um, and whatnot for, for your 
the people in your life. And so how can you sort of best describe what your life was like before? I'm not going to say before having a faith because you had a faith, but before maybe you made that moment in St. John's to what it is now. What's the best sort of comparison you could describe? Yeah, I think falling away from faith around the age of 13, right up to the age of about 26, 25. There was a noticeable difference in my life. I was chasing things that I thought were going to bring me happiness. And you see it all the time in people. Like I look around in society now and see people that... <clears throat> the the, the idolised money or um, people, perhaps. There's, there's other things that will pull their attention away from the relationship that God wants to have with them. And I very much felt that in my own life. Sort of, I went through the rebellious teenage years. I really, really did come quite close to losing a lot of my closest friends. And in fact, my mum and dad, through the way I was being with them. Um, I was just chasing those things, as I say, that I thought were going to make me happy, and they weren't. There was always a longing for something, and I didn't know what that longing was for. Is it like you almost tried to, like a jigsaw puzzle, and you tried to put every different shape into the hole that was missing, and it, exactly. was, it was God, it wasn't the other things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I did the typical lad thing, you know, you, you go out on a Saturday night, you try and get with a girl... You drink too much and you're thinking all these things are going to make you happy and in fact they just didn't, they just weren't. And It was a process that was long, it was drawn out and it wasn't actually very fulfilling at all. I've got some fond memories looking back at those 10 years, there were some good moments in there but for a lot of it, it was it was a chasing of something that I didn't know what I was chasing and, and no fulfilment whatsoever. And um, was Would there be anything that you'd have said to, your, to that person you were in those 10 years that you know now? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. I think it... Uh, there's a lot of things I'd say to my younger self. I think sometimes you can be overly critical of yourself when you're younger and growing up. and you Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I think if I was having a, a chat with my younger self now, I'd say just put the brakes on a bit. Stop, stop trying so hard to be the person that you're not. Because I think that was part of what I was doing. I was trying to live up to an expectation that everyone else had of me. Mm. I wasn't. I was embracing a character that wasn't me. I was. I just wasn't stepping into the shoes that now I see that God had given me to step into. I was trying to walk in someone else's shoes, and so I'd have quite an honest conversation with myself and just say, "Just be the person that you are." Yeah, I think something about you when you preach as well, and just being your friend as you are you are open and honest but you you're very yourself now you seem mm-hmm. yourself authentically on on the like steps of the church it's not a stage what is it like the front at the front or like here or anywhere you seem all yourself mm-hmm. um and who sort of were the people who helped you on this journey i know you mentioned Simon, mm-hmm. he was quite an integral person in yeah, he helping was. you in this way. Do you want to talk a bit about your relationship there? Yeah, so Simon came into the church quite early on into my faith journey. Mm. Um, we were in a period, what they call interregnum, which is again is another fancy church term. There's so many fancy church terms that don't matter, <laughs> but they, need, they all, need to be. Yeah, it's all church language, churchy language. So yeah. <laughs> essentially we were in a process of, we'd lost a vicar and we were waiting to get a new one. 
So Simon came in about a year in. I would say about, yeah, it probably was about 12 months in. Hmm. And we struck up an instant friendship. Like the guy had a smile that would just beam. This this person for me was the, it's almost like the face of Jesus. Like he had so much joy, mm. so much happiness. He had time for everyone. He was, again, he was someone who was authentically himself. He didn't pretend to be someone yeah. who wasn't. So much energy, like Tigger. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he was so infectious. You couldn't not like the guy. <clears throat> so we struck up quite a, a close friendship quite early on. I remember going out for a drink with him and say so we had that chat. There's something about you. I want to explore it. Mm. Uh, and then he, he passed away very, very suddenly, and that impacted me, as you could imagine, as a new Christian, sort of exploring God. You're thinking, well, all these stereotypes that, that, you know, God being the awful man in the sky who just dictates everything, they were all, like, coming flooding back. Mm. And so I was sort of wandering around, confused for a little while. My faith was strong enough to hold firm, but I was left with a lot of questions. Mm. Um, we were all sort of lost, weren't we, for... Yeah. yeah, we were. It was a very, very difficult time. Um, so then we had um, our curate who's just left, incidentally, uh, Elliot. He came in. He was um, appointed by Simon to be the curate. Mm. <clears throat> and the guy did an incredible job. Like he, Within the first couple of weeks of him taking post, that's when Simon died. And so it was, it was incredibly difficult for him to sort of step into those shoes. It, it was shoes he was never going to fill. And again, he was just authentically himself. He, he steadied the ship. He had a level of maturity way beyond his years. Hmm. And he was someone who I could go to and talk to and bring all my fears and worries and joys and, and someone, all these kind of things too. And he, he again, he gave me opportunities that I didn't think I was going to get when Simon passed away. I didn't think those opportunities would represent themselves. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Elliot was a, probably another really influential person. And then... Um, I was going to ask Brian Abraham. Yeah, I was just about to come yeah. on to Brian. Unfortunately, not related to him. Our surnames are the same, but we're not related. <laughs> um, I, I love Brian. I absolutely adore Brian. He's, he's like my granddad. And he's <laughs> someone I can go to. I can... He spoke at your wedding. He did. He did. He, he, we, me and Georgia wanted him to, uh, to preach as such. It was more of a reflection, um, which was perfect for the occasion. But just a genuinely lovely guy. Humble, kind, warm. A real love of Jesus. And emotional with that love of Jesus. Absolutely. In a good way. He wears his heart on his sleeve, does Brian. And yeah. That's one of his most endearing qualities. Mm. Um, love him to bits. There's so many people I could name. Yeah. I could honestly name about 10 people who've influenced me up to this point. Um, and there's going to be many more. Yeah. And so have you got a favourite Bible verse that maybe has helped you through difficult times or just one that sort of grounds you that you like to sort of read? Yeah, this, again, the Bible, it's quite a scary book to approach as a non-Christian or a, a new Christian, but there's so many things that have spoke to me at different times, but the, the one verse that has always stuck in my mind ever since I read it, and it resonates with me personally on so many different levels, is Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I love that verse because it just sums up the gospel for me in 
a very quick, punchy line, but it speaks a lot of truth, that those who have their faith placed in the person of Jesus Christ are no longer under any condemnation, that the, the sin is paid for by the person of Jesus. I love that verse, and there's so many times where I've botched and got stuff wrong and made poor decisions even as a practicing Christian, and because, that verse always comes back yeah, to me. I was going to say, because when you like a Christian, you're not perfect. Like You don't automatically not sin and not make mistakes. You, no. you still make the same mistakes as all other humans, you, as, as you are human. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's my favourite Bible verse, um, but there is a, a favourite passage of mine that's probably influenced a, a lot of my journey, and it's mm. um, people might be familiar with the name of it. It's the um, parable of the lost son, or mm. the prodigal son. And for those who don't know it, it's a story of a, a son who goes to his dad and asks for his um, inheritance to be paid early. His father says, yeah, okay. And this son then goes off into a foreign land, squanders the whole lot, and ends up working on a pig farm to try and get his money back, to try and make a living, to eat, to have any kind of a comfortable life because he squandered the whole lot and he realises the error of his ways. Mm. And he starts devising this plot and this plan to go back to his dad and essentially get on his knees and pray for forgiveness. And when he gets back home, before he even has a chance to say how sorry he is, his father sees him and comes running out and embraces him in a, in like a massive bear hug and that again it just sums up the relationship that God has with each one of us the relationship that God wants with each one of us he just wants us to turn back from those things that we know are wrong in our life to bring them back into his presence and he's going to embrace us every single time. The one thing I want people to know is that you were never ever too far away from God to turn back around. And that when you do, God will be waiting there for you with open arms. And to, on carrying on from that, if there is someone who's maybe not Christian or someone who has turned away, how do they, how, how do they go back? Like what, what do they do? What, how, what do they say? Or, or how does that work? <clears throat> yeah. Because I know sort of non-Christians will think, what do I have to say? Or what do I have to do? And so maybe talking about that they don't need to do or say might help. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes there's this perception that you need to say a certain magic formula to come back into the presence of God. And the truth is that isn't the case. That's certainly not my experience. <clears throat> to, to, to rewind, I mean, I wanted to come onto this anyway because I think people need to know if they haven't heard it before, maybe they have heard it and forgot, but the, the story of the good news of Jesus, and that is that when God created the world, he created us as human beings and as his creation to be in relationship with him. And it was always designed to be that way, but humans decided that they were better than God and they wanted to go their own way and they wanted to live independently of God. And so they started making choices that separate them from God, which we call sin. And that sin created, essentially, a chasm between us and God that couldn't be breached. It was something that put a lot of distance between us and God, and still does today. Um, some people think that you can fill that chasm with good deeds and living your life in a, in a certain way. 
And that's all good, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but actually the gap between creation and God, that gap between us is called sin, and that gap is too big to bridge by just doing good stuff. Mm. And so God knew this from the start, and so his plan, and it was his plan from the very beginning, was to send his son Jesus into the world and create that bridge between God and us once more. And by Jesus dying on the cross for all of our sin, both past, present and future, and for every single person, by putting his arms out on the cross, Jesus created that bridge. And by placing, simply by placing your faith and your trust in him and him alone, and asking him to be Lord of your life, that is all you need to do to reconnect with God. There is no magic formula. That connection with God is found in the person of Jesus. You are a good speaker. I know, like, that was just on here, but that you are very good at sort of saying the right things in a succinct way. You'll, you'll do really well when you're a vicar. Thank you. Um, and so, obviously, we've lived through a pretty unusual few years. Mm. We've been apart from loved ones. We've been apart from church, family, physically. How did you find lockdown? Uh, tough, in a word. I found it very difficult. I, I found that my faith, it stood firm, but my connection with God changed, I think, because I couldn't go to the church building. You spoke quite excellently, I must put, at the beginning about church not being the building, but about the people within the building. And I, I hope firmly, firmly believe that to be true. I've experienced it that way. But there is something about the church building mm. to go in and worship with your family. And by family, I mean both biological and your spiritual family. There's something about that experience which transcends any human understanding for me. It's lovely. There's something lovely, lovely about it. And so when the church building was shut, I was quite sort of... I don't know how to put it in... in in word terms really but there's something about when when it all happened and it seemed to happen very very fast i was quite excited in a way to see how church would adapt mm. um and as most churches did they found a way of doing it remotely and virtually and it was fab it was so fab i think it brought people together who wouldn't necessarily meet each other absolutely people had a confidence to come and experience church in a way that they wouldn't normally do on a sunday and for people who maybe weren't Christian, it was a way of not going into the church building, not being yeah, intimidated. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, as lockdown wore on, I started to find that I was struggling to connect with the virtual worship in the same way that I would um, in the church building, and particularly not being able to take communion, which is part of, I love that part of our faith as we go and celebrate communion together, mm. that we gather as one family around one table. And so not being able to take communion was difficult. I found that impacted me spiritually. Um, and then in the middle of all that, um, me and my partner, Georgia, were engaged to be married. And so we had, um, we had all these grand plans for a wedding that we were just slowly watching a road away. And so there was a lot of pressures. There was a lot of pressures um, that lockdown brought, a lot of challenges. There was a lot of good stuff. It was nice to be able to sort of 
reconnect with myself. I did have a period at the beginning where I struggled with my mental health, as a lot of people did. And so I was able to reconnect with things that I've not been able to for years, such as um, artwork and reading, mm. all the stuff that the busyness of life kind of tends to sort of shut out. I, f- I found I was able to reconnect with that. Um, so yeah, a mixed bag in in short. It was it was tough, but there were some good bits. Yeah. Um. So if people have listened to this podcast episode and sort of maybe want to know more about their faith or explore it a bit more, what would you recommend? That's a good question. I would say going into your church building is not the easiest thing to do off the bat. I would say if you know someone who has a faith and you are curious about exploring it a little bit more, connect with them. And so just to finish the episode it seems appropriate if we could ask you to sort of do a prayer to close yeah absolutely yeah that'd be lovely yeah yeah scott i just thank you for this time with lucy this afternoon and i do pray god that those who are perhaps not someone of faith and perhaps are curious to know more about you jesus and how you can make a difference in their lives I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, the Bible tells us that you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock, Lord. And I pray that those people, perhaps, who are listening this afternoon, this evening, this morning, whenever they are listening to this podcast, Lord, I pray that they will be able to connect with you in perhaps a way that they didn't think was possible. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal something of your love to them today. And I pray, Lord, that deep within the souls and their hearts and their minds, God, that each person listening to this podcast would know that you love them and that you love them unconditionally, God, and that you sent your son Jesus to die in place of them. I thank you, God, and I do pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow so you can keep up to date with when each new episode is out.